0: Good morning. How many of you have had an opportunity to uh, read through all the psalms? You've read the psalms before. How many of you have read the psalms and are like, I don't quite understand what's going on here with the psalms, right? It can be a little bit confusing sometimes, and sometimes unless you know the background of the particular psalm also. And uh I've always wanted to go through the psalms, but as you know, there is a lot of psalms, and some of them are very, very long also. So it's like, how do you do a sermon series, and you preach a sermon within 30 minutes, and going through all of these psalms? So through a lot of prayer, we've been able to uh, to put together a psalm series, and simply walking through it. And, and man, how appropriate that we're going through the psalms, because... Uh, you know, I asked myself the same questions that you may have, as well, how do I apply these to my life? I read this and I hear these people and I see these people going through things in their life. I just don't, it doesn't apply to me. How does this work? How do, I, don't, I don't understand this, God. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the Psalms over the next 10 weeks and really begin to dig deep and, and look at what the Psalms are. I want to start off this morning by sharing with you what exactly are the Psalms. For those of you that don't know, psalm is a sacred song or a hymn that deals with real people facing real situations and recording their real feelings for many of us we've always struggled with religion you just do these things and it's devoid of feelings it's devoid of any relationship and what we are going to see in the psalms is people in real relationships with god there's an author, his name is David Pallison. He's also um, a professor here at Westminster Theological Seminary. And he says, really, there's, here are the three themes that you see in the Psalms. Number one, you hear people's cries for help from their sins and their sorrows. From their sins and their sorrows. Because what the Psalms are showing is the human struggle. It's showing people suffering and it's showing how just situations in life and trials are just overwhelming in their lives. So it's cries for help from their sins and sorrow. The second is what you see is an invading and merciful God. The book of Psalms says life is hard, but there is someone that you can go to in the midst of it. There is someone who is your refuge. They reveal a God of promise that we go to him. And thirdly, you see real voices of faith. And you see that in the voice of, of need, people expressing their needs, and you see that in the voice of gratitude, people praising God. What we do when we walk through the Psalms is we're looking at people's personal, deep relationships with God. And in fact, one of the authors of the Psalm is King David. And oftentimes what you will hear David do is he will speak in the I and the you. I and you, God. Because he's showing you what a real relationship with God looks like. Faith is huge, and David in particular is demonstrating to a God or showing us his faith in God and how he speaks in his honesty. So that's what the Psalms are. The question is, what do we do with them? How do we use these in our life? You see, when you look at the Psalms, first what you're seeing is you're seeing the Psalm through the eyes of the person who wrote the Psalm, and then you also see it through the eyes of Jesus, because Jesus Himself used the Psalms in His own life. He used them Himself. And He often refers to them. So over the next several weeks, what you're gonna see is you're gonna see places where Jesus uses the Psalms Himself. I think Brian was saying it earlier is Jesus shows what a human looks like. True humanity. You see it through Jesus, and he expresses these things. Oftentimes in the psalms. You know, when you're given a psalm, often you're not given the details of what's going on, but what you're given is a template. You're given a template of what a relationship with God looks like. So I encourage you over these next several weeks, take the template and apply it to your life. And use it. Hold on to it. Because that's how you go to God. And this is how we respond to God in the midst of our trials and temptations and struggles In life. We're going to look at Psalm 89 today. It's 52 verses. Okay, I'm going to go through. I want to sort of break it into pieces as we go through. But what I'd like for you to get is look at the overall picture of what the psalmist is saying as we begin to go through. But to give you some quick background on what's happening here. So in the book of 2 Samuel, it's one of the earlier books in the Old Testament. uh, There was a promise that was made to King David before he became king. That there would always be a king of the Jewish people. And what he's saying is that this lineage was going to continue on. This Davidic dynasty was going to continue on. And what is happening right now is the person who has written this psalm is looking at the situation around him saying, I don't see this anymore. It's all falling apart. And what historians will say is, he probably wrote this in the midst of the Jewish people being carried off to Babylon. It was ending. So he writes this in the midst of, of that dire situation right there question is how do we respond to suffering how do we respond to difficult times in our life and in particular how do we see God in the midst of struggles in our own life how do we respond and see God let me just say this right now and this is uh, this comes from the book of numbers It's one of the earlier books also in the Old Testament And it's really the DNA of the Bible. Listen to what God says to Moses to speak to his brother Aaron, to speak to the people. And he says this to the people. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And what we're going to look at in the book of Psalms is how that is fulfilled because that is who God is what you're going to see in this psalm today is this God is always true to his promises regardless of our response and regardless of our circumstances God is always true to his promises you guys let's pray before we get started Heavenly Father Lord we thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word Lord Lord, please settle our hearts and our minds to hear from you, God. Please show us, God, where do we need to apply this and where do we need to live this out in our lives? Where do we fall short, God? Please help this psalm to speak to us today and to use this psalm to come to you in the future, Father. We thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're on Psalm 89. For those that have your Bible, we'll also have it up on here on the screen. And I want to start off, like I said, I want to go through just a few verses at a time. And I want to start with verse 1 that says this. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness you have said, and he's speaking about God speaking now, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. Now, often in the Bible, when you see the, the, the term Selah, when you look at commentators and historians, what they say is most likely what it refers to is a break that you kind of just stop and pause and sort of take in what was just spoken right there. And what he's literally saying right here is, God, I will go on and tell people about your steadfast love and the faithfulness of who you are. He's literally saying "As God, you are firm, unwavering, you're loyal, you're dependable, and you always keep your promises. God, your love is the foundation of our lives. And how do I know that, God? Because I've seen it, And I've heard it in your covenant that you made with King David long ago. You made a covenant that you would establish his offspring forever and that there would be a throne forever. So the psalm starts with praise. Praise for who God is and his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then he goes on to say this. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones for who in the skies can be compared to the lord who among the heavenly beings is like the lord a god greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him o lord god of hosts who is mighty as you are o lord with your faithfulness all around you he's literally saying god all of heaven praises you there is nobody who is above you there is no one in heaven and all the heavenly beings that is above you god you are above Ah, oh. and then he says you rule the raging of the seas when its waves rise you still them you crushed rahab like a carcass you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm the heavens are yours the earth also is yours the world and all that is in it you have founded them the north and the south you created them Tabor and herman joyously praise your name you have a mighty arm strong as your hand High your right hand. What he's literally saying is, God, not only are you above all heavenly things, you are mighty, God. You have created everything. You rule the earth and the seas. It's this idea of like chaos. You calm the storms, Lord. You calm the waves. You defeated Rahab, which is like this mythical monster which refers to Egypt. You defeated Egypt. You are a creator. You created north. You created south. Even the, the mountains that you have created praise God. Who you are. God, you are strong, and your right hand, which is in wars, you're mighty. So he continues this note of praise and reminding himself who God is and what God has done. 14 Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O oh Lord, in the light of your face who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. He's literally saying his righteousness and justice are your foundations. You act in steadfastness and faithfulness. And blessed are people when they, when they rejoice in your name and righteousness. Their strength and their favor only comes from you. And in fact, our King comes from you too, God. What he's literally saying here is he's praising God for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And he's praising God, and remembering God is above everything in heaven. God is the creator. He's strong. And at the foundation of who he is and his throne is justice and righteousness. He's building an argument here. It's not just saying these things just for the sake of praise. He's actually leading somewhere. And now he turns back in the next verses and specifically talks about the the covenant that he made with David. He says this, Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of the heavens. You see, God spoke to the prophet Samuel specifically about David. And what he said is that God will will carry out and strengthen, establish David to carry out his duties as king. God will crush anyone that comes against him. He will crush his foes. He will strike down those who hate him. And God's steadfast love and his faithfulness will be with David. In fact, David is going to cry out to God, My Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. David will be the first in a royal line covenant. And his throne will be established and his offspring established forever. He's still praising and he's getting specific about what he's praising. And then he goes on to say, If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness... I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, but his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies, Selah. David's kingly dynasty is conditional. If they sin and if they transgress my law, they will be punished. But I will not remove my faithfulness. With him, I will not violate the covenant that I made with him. Because God is a God of his word. David's offspring and his throne will always endure regardless of what they do. God is a God of his word. He's literally saying all of this, this praise and this worship of God and remembering specifically because he's actually leading somewhere. This is where he's going. Verse 38. But now you have cast us off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You've breached all his walls. You've laid his stronghold in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He's become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. He says, "God, you haven't kept your word. You abandoned your covenant. I'm sitting here and everything that's going on around me right now, God, it's all falling apart. You haven't kept your word. Foes and enemies they're rejoicing." The crown has been thrown to the ground. This kingship has been covered with shame, God. And then he goes on to say, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? by which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. He's literally saying to God, where are you? Where did you go? I'm watching everything around me, God, and it doesn't make sense. Because I just told you everything. That's what I remember. And I, what I'm seeing here is it's all falling apart. How long are you going to let this go on, God? How long? My life is short. I don't want to die and not see you, God. Have pity on us, Lord. He's literally crying out to God, help, where are you? You see, his rea- you see his, he's sharing his true feelings He's sharing his true feelings with God. And what you see is the contrast of the first verses. The reason why he's praising God, saying, because that's what I know. That's what I remember. But now when I'm looking at my situation, I don't see this. I'm struggling, God. It's the difficulty for somebody who sees and knows who God is in the midst of his situation, sees something different in his life. And he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, you have violated your own covenant. Help have you ever felt like this before? You ever been in the midst of something, you're literally crying out to God, help me, because what you're going through doesn't match with what you've seen in Scripture and who God is. I've shared with you guys before, and I've shared with, uh, with many before. So in my previous life, I told you guys that I did like acting and stuff like that, and I'll never forget there was a situation where there was a guy that was also doing it, and he wanted nothing to do with God. And here was I. I was thinking to myself, I was obedient to God. I was following what God's path was for my life. And he literally booked, he booked a $15,000 commercial for Campbell's Soup and got all the residuals. So every time I was on TV, he got a check. And here I am, I was struggling. You know, when somebody tells you they're an actor, they're, what it means they don't have a job. <laughs> I've realized that, right? So I was struggling to try to make ends meet. Can you imagine my reaction when I see somebody who wanted nothing to do with God being blessed? I remember crying out, what are you doing, God? Where are you? Where are you, God? That didn't make sense to me. How do you normally respond when you're in the midst of struggles and you're crying out to God? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Do you find yourself getting angry with God? Because what you see is not what you've seen in Scripture. And oftentimes it can turn into hopelessness. We will grumble against God, it can turn into sadness. You know, one of the biggest things that saddens me the most as a Christian is how often I've seen God work and how easily I turn away and forget the promises that He's made. It happens very, very quickly. You see, in the last verse, what does he say right here? He says, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. He ends with praise in the Lord. All said and done, he always remembers who the Lord is. I'll tell you guys, ultimately, the Davidic dynasty, it ended. It finished. And you never even see in Scripture how exactly God responded to the questions right there. So then you have to begin asking the question, what were you doing, God? Is there a bigger picture to all of this right here? You see, one of the interesting things that he said in verses 3 and 4 was this. He said, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. God was faithful to that covenant when you look at the book of matthew which is the first book in the gospels right the new testament the very first verse says this the book of the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham you see what god was doing was he was fulfilling the promise to david but he was doing it through jesus the psalmist couldn't see the big picture of what God was doing because he wanted immediate help in his situation, but he couldn't see what God was doing because God was doing something even bigger than what he thought. God was faithful despite the circumstances, despite their sin, and despite the response. His promises and his covenant are not dependent upon us. King David and this person that wrote this psalm they knew that God would do it. They just didn't know how or what it would look like. Jesus Christ brought salvation through his death and suffering. Jesus was the promise that God had made. It was being fulfilled through Jesus because it was through the lineage of David that Jesus Christ came. And he wasn't going to do it by being an earthly king. He was doing it in something that people would not Understand which was weakness. It was his death through weakness. Jesus says specifically to his disciples, When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is faithful and is steadfast love. And when you see Jesus, it was Jesus himself who was faithful and steadfast love. You remember when Jesus first came and he's tempted by Satan three times. Basically, what Satan is trying to get him to do is don't go to the cross. Do it another way. And Jesus says, no. He's faithful to what he was doing because he went directly to the cross. And it meant his own pain and suffering in the midst of that because Jesus' steadfast love for us and his faithfulness to what God had promised and what he was doing was through his own death and resurrection. Jesus Christ came to die. And he came to die so that we would be forgiven of our sins. Point blank. Jesus is the fulfillment of this right here. God kept his word through Jesus, the offspring and the throne. And he did something even better than what they thought. You know, I wonder oftentimes as the disciples are there looking at Jesus, hanging on the cross, being mocked, being bit, you know, beaten and being spit upon. You think they wonder the same thing as God. I don't understand what's going on. I thought this guy was the Messiah. And now they're watching him being beaten. I wonder that thought in my head because I know if I was there, I would have thought the same thing. God's response and his faithfulness to his word doesn't depend on you and I. doesn't depend on what's going on around us. God is bigger than everything. And when we see our lives in the midst of our lives, think of just this big bubble around it because it's in God's will and it's in God's (laughs) control. That's who he is. And he will always fulfill his promises. When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you receive the free gift of salvation, it's now Jesus who lives his life through you. So what does that mean? So what do we do with this psalm right here? Well, the first thing is this. Number one, we remember that God is faithful and steadfast. Turn to Scripture. Might I suggest you guys use Psalm 89? When you are worried about where you are and what's going on and not understanding how it matches with what God has said, you go back to Psalm 89 and you look and you see that God is always faithful to his promise into his covenant that's who he is you know I've seen it in my own life and I often share about just my mom's passing and struggling you know I think back to the scripture like God is the, being the great physician God as a healer and when Jesus says man anything that you ask in my name you'll receive you think I didn't pray that you think I didn't think that as my mom was getting sicker and sicker and I was watching her dying I was crying out but when you step back and you look and you see God was faithful to his promise because his healing is not always just a physical healing. It's healing for humanity from our sin. My mom came to know Christ through her suffering. I came to know Jesus in a much deeper, real relationship way through that incident right there. God was faithful to his promise. It just doesn't always look the way that you think it's going to look. That's the gospel. They were looking for a Messiah to come to defeat the Romans and he came in weakness and he came and he died and he gave his life on the cross and it's not dependent, salvation is not dependent on how good you are or what you do. It's not dependent on us and it doesn't always think, it doesn't always look the way that we think it will because Jesus came in weakness and he died. He died. And now you begin to understand why the Apostle Paul can say all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't matter what goes on in my life. I know that God still can use that for his good because God's word is always steadfast and he's faithful to his word and what he's doing. That's what Jesus did. Jesus' steadfastness, steadfast love and his faithfulness led him to go to the cross. So the first one is God is faithful and steadfast. The second is in times of suffering, turn to God in helplessness. It goes against everything you are ever taught, everything you will ever see in this life, helplessness, helplessness. The only problem with all of us is some of us recognize our helplessness and some of us haven't recognized it yet. But we are all helpless. We just think we're a lot stronger than we really are. And oftentimes in our life when we're suffering, we are brought to a point where you have no one else to turn to but God. God actually does us a favor in suffering because he turns us on to what's really going on in this world. The sooner you turn to him in helplessness, the sooner you will see God at work in your life. I go to God now in helplessness with everything. Because I used to think I, used to, I really knew what I was doing. And I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. Helplessness. We go in helplessness. You see, this psalmist cried out to God in helplessness. But who did he cry out to? He did it to God in faith. And you think about God's promises when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. My strength is made perfect in weakness, and it's when I am weak, then I am strong. It goes against everything that this world would tell you. Helplessness and weakness. It drives us to God, and that's what we see with this psalmist right here. And lastly, that crying out and questioning, that's faith. Most of us would never dare talk to God like this. We would think it would be too disrespectful to talk to God and to question God. But let me ask you this question. Was this included in Scripture? So it's pretty important. And God wanted us to see. This is somebody who demonstrates real faith. We may look at it, your faith is weak. Now, his faith is strong because he's going to God in faith. He's not going to other people. He's not turning away from God. God is the one he cries out to and says, help me. That's his faith right there. And for most of us, it's a different understanding of faith. I remember God's steadfast love and faithfulness. I cry out to him in my helplessness and in faith. That's how you grow. That's how you have communion with God. And that's how you have joy in your life, regardless of the circumstances going on. And we remember God's ultimate promise when he says in the book of Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the ultimate kept promise of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. Let's pray.